Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 215. This week, we talk with Suze Hinton about MX Chip. We also chat about her live streaming and the gear she uses. Calculator goes open source. And Apple Rick rolled us all. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. This week we have Suze Hinton. She works in developer relations at Microsoft, mostly working on IoT projects and live streaming. How's it going? Good. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back on the show again. I was going to say you're back. (laughs) Last time Mm -hmm. was at Build. Uh, Wasn't the last Build, was it? Was it a year ago? Uh, Maybe a year ago. I think it was about a year ago. It might have been... Yes, I think it was about a year ago, you're right. Yeah, which was uh, which was super cool. So I'm glad that we could have you back on a completely different uh, topic, which is pretty awesome. And Carl, you want to talk about stickers? Yep, I've gotten quite a few requests for stickers. And if you have not sent me your address, uh, you can email feedback at msdevshow.com and put stickers in the subject line and your address in the body, and I will get some out to you. Yeah. So is that a full-time job yet, Carl? Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> yeah. We should say, uh, you know, terms and conditions may apply and, and we reserve the right to end the sticker program at any time. <laughs> once, once it takes up more than four hours a day, right, Carl? Yes. Um, I, I, I've got some expenses, Jason. <laughs> yeah. And what do we have for the comment of the week? Uh, we got a new comment on the week on iTunes from the UK, a uh, five-star review uh, from Catchmat. And the comment was, I love the MS Dev Show because it covers such an eclectic mix of tech and related subjects that always appeal to a developer at heart like me. I also love the MS Dev Show because what shines through in every episode is that both the hosts, Jason and Carl, and every single one of their guests is every bit as much an enthusiastic techie as I am. I listen to many podcasts, but what I love the most about the MS Dev Show and what makes it unique is that it's the only show with a soundtrack that compels me to body pop. (laughs) As I almost always listen in the car, that could be an issue. However, as my car has several excellent autonomous features that has so far not been a problem thanks guys and many and long may your awesome show reign well thank you very much that was uh a very very uh awesome uh, yeah review. and you didn't you didn't read the title carl uh i love 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 this show man that Aww. is so awesome <laughs> thank you so much that was really Catch nice me. Yeah, that is yeah. that is awesome. And he was talking about autonomous driving features, so we'll have to have a conversation with him about that sometime. Yeah. So if you want to get mentioned on the show like Catchmat, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com, comment on our website or Twitter. And we especially love those five-star iTunes reviews. Yes, we do. Okay, let's get into the news. Uh, first one here, not getting Rickrolled enough? Check out the official Apple Watch documentation archive. Before you mention this, Carl, I got Rickrolled yesterday. Um, I, I opened up spot, I was driving and I opened up Spotify on CarPlay and it has like a simplified interface and I, and I was with my family and there was a playlist called, are there, it was, it was the first thing that showed, I said family mix. So I play it and it's playing just some like good family songs and then comes on and it started playing. I'm like, oh my God. And of course my 14 year old was like, yeah. <laughs> so I wonder how many royalties he's getting from that, uh, that song. But anyway, uh, let's hope it's a lot. Yeah. Uh, so what's in the Apple Watch documentation? 
So uh, you have to go to archive.org to get this, but it actually shows an image of the Apple Watch when it first came out. Uh, there was a feature where like it'll show like your friends and it shows like their initials. Well, if you look at where it starts at the top and it goes around uh, clockwise, uh, the initials spell N E V E and so on and so forth, and it spells out "Never going to give you up." <laughs> <laughs> right in the screenshot, that is wild. So that so feature is gone, isn't it? Yeah, that page is uh, that uh, image has been swapped out with one that doesn't rickroll you, but it actually was up on the Apple.com website. Press the side button to see your friends. Yeah, see now that takes oh, it takes you to like their quick their quick switch thing. I got you. That's why it's gone. Well, that was that was pretty good. Well done. Um, announcing job, the op- yeah, announcing the open sourcing of Windows Calculator. Yeah, so now the Windows Calcul- Calculator source code is now up on GitHub. And, I, you know, one of the things I think is really interesting about this is, uh, you know, today at Microsoft has open sourced a ton. So this isn't anything that's terribly newsworthy in and of itself. But this is the first time that a major UWP application from Microsoft has been open sourced. So uh, this is a good way to see, you know, what kinds of patterns and practices does Microsoft use? It's also a good showcase of uh, quite a few like related technologies like Fluent Design. It shows has a lot of those translucency and hover and highlight effects as well. So if you're looking uh, to see what an application like that, you know, takes to be built, um, you can go on GitHub and check it out. Yeah, I think it's fascinating, like how much stuff is in here. Like I'm looking through like the unit tests, like there's a crazy amount of uh, tests. Oh, there's in there. tons of unit tests in there. Yeah. And then somebody had mentioned, I think it was Miguel de Casa had mentioned that it, it was released with um, like a, what do you call it? A high, high precision uh, float floating cl- uh, point uh, library along with it, um, which is kind of cool. And then one thing I noticed in the um, readme was this data telemetry section. This project collects usage data and sends it to Microsoft to help improve our products and services, blah, 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 blah. Um, and there's a send telemetry build flag. Um, I guess I could search for that. I was trying to, I wanted to see the telemetry code, you know, cause everybody's always paranoid about windows. Like, Oh, it's spying mm-hmm. on me, sending all this telemetry data. And like, I really don't mm-hmm. care. Um, cause it's like, nobody cares like what you're doing on your machine. It's, you know, we, they care in aggregate what's going on. And I, I guess I'm a Microsoft employee, so I need to caveat that. But, um, <laughs> so maybe, maybe I am biased, but like, I don't care. I'm sure. You know, I'm sure my iPhone is doing something similar, right? In in aggregate, it's it's collecting that type of information. Um, I wanted to see the telemetry though. How do you search just that repository? Oh, here we go. If you put if you type it in. Oh, okay, there we go. Uh if def oh, it's commented out. <laughs> There's literally one place where they do a if def send telemetry, and then it is oh, it must be right after that. Okay. Oh, it's under trace logger. Here we go. Send telemetry, uh, critical data measures telemetry. I was just curious. So anyway, um, yeah, you can go check out anything that you're interested in, in the calculator app, which I think is really great. I'd like to see, uh, more and more apps, uh, get released like this. Cause like, why not? Like, what is, I don't think there's any concerns there. So that's very cool. And then the last one here, um, I don't know who wrote this article, but it's, uh, my, my Twitch, uh, live coding setup. <laughs> Who wrote this? <laughs> it comes from our guest, Suze Hinton. Oh. And, and uh, you know, last time we talked to her, we talked about 
her live streaming, you know, in general. And uh, she recently updated a blog post that talks about it. And I thought it was very interesting because we recently talked a little bit of some of the changes in our hardware. And it's absolutely totally different kind of a setup when Suze does her live streaming. So I thought it'd be interesting to kind of compare and contrast what it kind of takes to do two similar but unrelated, uh, you know, recordings. Mm-hmm. And then I have a question for you, Sue. Is this uh, this webcam? Because that was what stood out to me in all of this. I'm like, okay, laptop. I do need to buy one of these uh, laptop stands. Um, <laughs> mine. I think I think my laptop gets really hot, and I literally have like framing shims under it, like pieces of wood, like wood <laughs> shims, to like put it up a little bit so that it uh, stays cool. But anyway, all this other stuff like looked pretty normal to me. But then you have this Logitech Brio Ultra HD webcam, and I look. This is a 4K camera. This thing's pretty wild. Do you stream in 4K? So it's funny that you say that because yeah. I just decommissioned it this weekend because I've been using it for a year but yeah. i've actually been enormously frustrated with it really? I, that <laughs> explains so some it, of the bad reviews yeah and so it could be just my operating system that i'm using with mac os um it could just be that my computer's not powerful enough it could just be that i got a lemon you know um shipment of the the camera but it when it works it's so beautiful the colors are really saturated um it you have a lot of fine control using like the software package that comes with it um but i found that obs would just end up like crunching when I had it at full 4k. Mm. And so embarrassingly, I would have to re sort of like change the resolution to be basically like, I think 907, uh, 900 and something by 500 or something like that, or 700 mm. by 500 and something in order to just get OBS not to choke on it, which was so sad. <laughs> yeah. And so um, it's not even as good as it could be. And then on top of that, uh, a lot of, different video chat programs that I use to be in meetings every day. And I'm talking like three or four different ones. They all crunch on this where even stuff like Google Hangouts just won't work properly with it half the time. And so um, I've sort of just given up on it for now. And I've gone back to using my Logitech. Um, I think it's the C920, which is a very classic streaming. Yeah, that's, that's what we use, which is a fantastic mm-hmm. camera for like no money. I wonder if because the, the C920 has a built-in H.264 encoder. I'm wondering if this 4K camera doesn't... I wonder if it's coming raw and your computer's having to uh, re-encode. You know, that's a really good point. Um, yeah. I think it might be that. It's also like very... It has a very wide um, view as well. And mm-hmm. so it is just like putting a ton more pixels on there. And then on top of it, it's even wider than a regular um, frame is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering... Um, you know, I was just thinking about this too. Like we have, we have a different set of challenges with the podcast. All right. They, whenever you're live streaming, like the computer you're using is the one you have to use to record. Whenever you're doing podcasts, what's kind of cool is you can actually have a dedicated and Carl and I ran those for a while. We actually don't do that anymore, but we, we literally had a separate podcast computer that just served that one purpose so that mm-hmm. if it was crunching on the video or whatever, it didn't affect like the computer that we were using. So you could do whatever, but you can't do that because you have to use everything on the same machine. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I know a lot of people who basically do all of their streaming on some like um, desktop PC, and then they just capture their their other computer as a capture source, right, um, yeah. with a capture card. But the reason why I don't do that is because, you know, the last two years, from actually most of my streaming sort of experience, I've been on the road a lot. And so I really 
really love being able to just have everything on one computer because then my setup doesn't change very much whenever I'm streaming from like a hotel room or something like that. So to be honest, I'd love to do two machines, but it just has meant that, you know, it would just feel ultra degraded when I'm on the road in comparison. That's all. Yeah, no, that that's actually a great point because we, we do the same thing. Like I always, that's why I usually end up buying like the most powerful laptop that I can because it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like with cameras, right? The, the, the best camera is the one you have with you and the best computer is the one you have with you. Mm-hmm. No, it's so true. And like my MacBook Pro, you know, I spec'd it out to the max because, you know, they're all glued together these days and you can't upgrade them. So my last one, you could upgrade everything. Um, and I maxed it out and then four and a half years later, I, I replaced it. But this one is, was very, very expensive too. So part of me has that sunk cost fallacy where I'm like, well, I just want to be able to use it for everything because I paid so much money for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, anything else you wanted to call out in this blog post? I mean, it's super comprehensive. So, I mean, I don't. Yeah, yeah it's don't really know. comprehensive. But, you know, one of the things I find interesting at comparing it to podcasting, you know, hardware is normally you look at like, what are the mics? What are the stands? What are, you know, all these peripherals and you go into like why you chose all of them. And like your hardware section is like, okay, here's my list. And then what you go into super detail is on is how you uh, set up and operate OBS, the open broadcast uh, software. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that's very interesting is like you mentioned, you know, so much of it is the software that is on the computer and, and coordinating all of that. And, you know, that's just something that's absolutely different because we don't do any of that stuff. We don't have to because we're not doing that video and we're not doing streaming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just found that whenever I recommended hardware, it just wasn't really the place where people felt lost, right? They can go on like Amazon.com or they can like go to a brick and mortar store and look at all the reviews, look at what the most popular product is. I think that people really wanted guidance around OBS because it is, it's kind of like Photoshop. It's very powerful and it's a video compositing tool, right? Rather Mm -hmm. than a photo compositing tool. So it's so powerful and it has a lot of the same features, but people are just like, well, do, do I have to use all of these? And you know, what, how can I design all of my scenes and my profiles and everything in a way where it's going to be easy for me to manage? I think that people want to see that more. And that's where I got most of the questions, which is why I ignored the hardware side. Yeah, I do find that part fascinating. Uh, just everything that, that goes into like making that stream look perfect, you know, the combination of the code and the video and the chat and everything else that's going on. You got to mix all that together. You have scripts going on. You have secrets on the screen that you have to hide. Um, that, that is amazing. I mean, it's like a hundred times more complicated than what Carl and I do. <laughs> <laughs> I think the biggest thing that people forget is when they're watching the stream, right? They're watching your final output, you know, yeah. it's all fancy looking. And that's absolutely not what you see. Like you're, you're kind of, you don't see any of those things that are, it's not like you're watching a live recording of yourself and then sort of yeah. like coding using that video. And I know some people do that with their capture card, but I think that people take for granted that you can see the chat because I've I've put it into my video, but that's not a reference for me to be able to look at at all. I have to find some other way to look at the chat, you know? Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thank you for, uh, well, I mean, we picked it out, but thank you for sharing everything on your, on your blog. <laughs> I, I'm sure that's incredibly useful to so many people. So we definitely recommend everybody check that out. Okay. So let's talk about MX chip. Uh, so what is MX chip? That is a really good question. It has one of those very electronic engineering kind of names, right? Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, at least the word chip is in there, so it kind of um, <laughs> gives a bit of a hint. But the MX chip um, is basically the name to describe a microcontroller breakout board um, that has a lot of different capabilities on it. And so um, we encourage the use of it because it has an ecosystem that's been built around Azure cloud services, including things like Azure IoT Hub, um, um, device provisioning service and things like that. But it's just a really wonderful board to prototype with because it just has so many features on it. Yeah, one one thing I will, I guess, complain about while, while we're sort of the beginning here, like I went to the MX chip uh, website and if you click on, like it says Azure, uh, I don't even know where it is, but if you're on that product, you click on Azure, it takes you to like the Azure front page, you know? So, to, mm-hmm. so to your point, there, there are some like great, uh, there's some, there's some great resources for like how you actually integrate with Azure, but the, the product page does not do a great job at that. Um, but anyway, that was just, uh, I, cause I was, I was really confused when I first started looking at this thing. I'm like, okay, I see that it's like a, it's like a board <laughs> and it has something to do with Azure. How does this thing work? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And they've done some really good work, I guess, on the Microsoft side. Um, the, the team in China that maintains a lot of the software, the libraries and also the website, they've done such a good job at trying to make it a little bit more user friendly. And so usually instead of directing people to mxchip.com, I usually direct people to aka ms slash mx chip which is kind of like the dev kit sort of homepage where you can get started really quickly oh yeah this is this is way better this is really good <laughs> okay i love this yep so i mean you've mentioned you know microsoft a few times and azure and i'm holding one of these uh dev kits in front of me and it says the microsoft azure iot starter kit it's got the aka.ms link and that's you know microsoft controlled so what is microsoft's role in this yeah, that's a good question because it's not really, there's not really a lot of information about this online, but basically, um, this board is, uh, an open, fully open source board. Um, and it re- runs the embed operating system as well. And essentially this is sort of like not a fork, but it is a collaboration with Microsoft to improve the board somewhat, but also, um, be able to introduce certain features that help a lot if you want to interface with Azure cloud services, essentially. So it's almost just like um, another layer on top of the board just to make things a nicer experience. But it is actually leveraging um, an existing, um, you know, company who manufactures these boards. Well, that's pretty cool. So, so it's not made by Microsoft, but it's heavily influenced by Microsoft then. Yes, it is not made by Microsoft, but it is a very friendly collaboration that Microsoft had. Right. <laughs> and I see that it says it's Microsoft Azure certified. Um, yes. Which and that's I, the really important yeah. detail right there. Right. What? So what does that mean? Yeah, so we have a list of devices that um, that are called like Azure certified devices. And what we mean by that is just if you were to purchase this, and they tend to just be the development kits, mostly the prototyping kits. But if you produ- if you purchase this kit, we know that it will be a good experience with Azure. And so we know that uh, that board has kind of the, the minimum requirements to get started. Um, usually that's something like it has to have Wi-Fi um, and it has to be able to be powerful enough to run our SDKs, for example, you know, no matter what language it is, um, and also just have the ability to um, to be able to at least maintain a connection with our cloud services on top of that as well. Okay. So before we go too much further, I know we've mentioned that this has like a bunch of different sensors and capabilities on here. Can you kind of go through what's all on this uh, dev board? 
<laughs> yeah, it's a really long list. I'll, I'll like keep to most of the exciting stuff because, because um, <laughs> like I, there's a bunch of like nerdy details that might be a little bit too in the weeds um, for for some of the the audience. But um, the things that I'm most excited about are a lot of the sensors. Um, so we have a motion sensor. Um, there's like a, a magnetic sensor, a pressure sensor. Uh, there's a humidity and temperature sensor. Um, also, um, we actually have uh, two-way audio. So there's a microphone. And then on top of that, there's a, a headphone audio jack as well, which you don't see on a lot of breakout boards, um, no. that combination. There's also uh, two different buttons. So you've got like an A and a B button so that you can actually kind of have, um, you know, direct interaction with somebody pushing them. There's an RGB LED that you can make, you know, you can choose from millions of colors <laughs> to display that in. Um, and then it also has, uh, in the middle, you'll see this big, um, component and that's called an OLED screen. So and by big that, component, you mean like an mm -hmm. inch by like, I don't know, like Half two thirds inch. of an inch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so it's almost, it's almost an inch by an inch when you measure the whole thing. The screen space is a little smaller than that. Yeah. And it says it's 128 by 64. It looks like. I, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I think the other sensors are interesting too. There's, uh, well, actually some of them are, are just LEDs, but there's like a Wi-Fi LED. There's a user LED. And I love that there's an Azure LED as well. that shows the, the connectivity <laughs> there. But yeah, magnetometer yeah, really pressure. A, a lot of these you don't see on, uh, on other devices. This thing looks like super fun. <laughs> it's really, really cool. And the other one I forgot to mention because it's at the top and I always forget about it, but there's an IR, oh, yeah. like an infrared emitter. Yeah. So you can, it can't actually receive the um, like infrared signals, I don't think, but you can actually emit them. So if you wanted to use this as like a remote control for certain RF devices or IR devices, sorry, then you can absolutely do that. So I could like pull pranks on my kids and like uh, turn off the TV whenever they turn Fortnite on. Yes, technically you can make a TV be gone out of this, I believe. <laughs> yeah, because what you could do is you could have an ML algorithm that detects Fortnite and then <laughs> and then have it send out the IR signal. That would be hilarious. You just like upload a bunch of um, like screen captures from it so that it learns to recognize that um, a lot of the levels and things like that. Yeah, or, or the audio. Yeah. Oh yes, audio is good yeah. too. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> so, um, this thing looks really awesome. So, what kind of languages can I can I write on this thing? Yeah, that's a good question. So, this is a very traditional device way, even though it is like an ARM, you know, Cortex M4 MCU. Uh, there's not a lot of room on it to run the program. So um, usually you can just write C or even C++. Um, and then there are other helper libraries that are sort of uh, further abstractions on top of C++ just to make things a little bit easier for beginners as well. Okay. That's pretty cool. So when you're, when you're developing for this, is this something that you like pull out big Visual Studio for? Or can you use like VS Code or some some more lightweight editors? Yeah, that's a great question. So we usually encourage uh, you to use VS Code. And the reason for that is there is an amazing extension called IoT Workbench that's designed for a bunch of different devices that can um, connect to Azure, including the ESP8266, I believe. Um, but that's that one has a lot of really nice built-in things to help you develop with that board. And so it's everything from, you know, being able to just use the command palette to quickly um, compile and upload your code or verify that there are like no type issues or anything like that. But also um, there are a bunch of sample projects that you can open directly from that extension to be able to get started with it. 
Yeah. And, and one little pro tip when you're first getting u- used to this, you have to like install like a USB driver for it to even run. Uh, a little pro tip, make sure your USB cable is not a power only cable. Nobody would do that, Carl. Yeah. I ran into that when I first got this. So yeah, make sure you have a data USB cable when you're trying to interact with it. That is really, really important. Um, actually, I'm really glad you mentioned that too, because a really nice feature as well is that um, you can open a serial monitor connection to the device. And so, you know, like when we're um, when we're debugging, we generally want to step through the code with breakpoints, but sometimes you just want to do like a console log, right? <laughs> um, and so you can actually log out to the serial um, to the serial interface on the the board, and then you can be watching that in VS Code while your code actually runs on the board, which I think is really cool. So you can kind of make sure that the payloads that are arriving from IoT Hub are shaped in the way that you're expecting and things like that, which is really nice for debugging. Yeah, that is really cool. I think what's neat about it is like, I'm I'm looking, there's a whole bunch of tutorials out there and uh, they just walk you through like this one is a door sensor, which uses the, the, uh, the magnetic sensor and Mm -hmm. having that screen on there is incredibly useful because um, like they show like the, they show some of the data off of, you know, right off the sensors and you can actually output that to the screen too, you know, so mm-hmm. if you just want to power it and like put it like sort of into production, <laughs> like the production area, look at what the values are and then, and then write your code around them. That's, that's really cool. And even creating an yeah, really IP like address, that. like on a Raspberry Pi, like that's always like the hardest thing. It's just like, oh, I got to hook up a screen just to like SSH into this thing. Cause I need to know what the IP is. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. I have a bunch of utility scripts for the MX chip actually that can do things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. But one hint I will give you is that sometimes you're going to want the MAC address of the MX chip because you want to put it on, you want to get it approved to be on certain Wi-Fi Mm -hmm. networks or things like that. Um, And the trick is that the MAC address is actually, so when you first set up this board, it has um, a really, it turns itself into a Wi-Fi access point, which is awesome. So when you put it in that um, Wi-Fi configuration mode, you can basically connect to uh, an IP address um, on the actual chip, which is so cool. But when you're selecting the um, the Wi-Fi access, I guess, like name in your Wi-Fi mm-hmm. um, selection, the MAC address is actually that string name of the Wi-Fi access. Oh, the SSID <laughs> is the MAC address? Yes. Yes. Oh. Thank you. The SSID. That's what I was talking about. And I didn't know that for the longest time because it didn't have the little colons, you know, breaking up the yeah. MAC address. And so for a long time, I had this utility script that would just write the MAC address out to the screen, which is very helpful, but it's such a waste of time. <laughs> right. And I felt very, very silly when I figured out that that's how you actually get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's yeah, that's a pretty good tip. So... You know, with all these sensors that are on there and even the small screen, it seems like this would be ripe for, you know, somebody who's learning to develop for hardware. Is that the case? Or do you think this might take somebody who has a little bit more experience? I think that that's going to depend, but I'll, I'll say why it's ideal for beginners first. Um, and part of the reason is that I think the thing that scares people the most about getting started with hardware is all of the wires, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like you have to learn to use a breadboard and then you have to understand, you know, how these different sensors communicate. So, for example, most of the sensors on this board communicate with a protocol called I squared C, right? And so sometimes you just need to know these details before you even get started because you need to know how to correctly wire them together. Yeah. And so if all of these sensors and like, you know, other outputs 
codes are already on the board, you can skip that entire step, right? And you know that if you use these code examples, you can already eliminate one area of failure if something's not working. So I think that debugging is a lot easier in that way. Um, it's less ideal for beginners, I guess, like if you think about which languages that beginner is actually um, familiar with. And so some beginners to hardware already know C and C++ really, really well. Others have only really played with a higher abstracted language like JavaScript or Python. So that's going to be a little bit more challenging for them because you can't run those la- those higher abstracted languages on the actual board. So that's where I would say it, it would be a little bit more difficult. Um, but that being said, the um, the package of libraries that have been published specifically for this board, in my opinion, are sometimes even easier to use than a lot of the Arduino libraries, uh, of which you can actually also use with this. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Because yeah, I, I've I've worked with like sensors and things like that, and and it's and it's like, oh, I'm gonna hook this up, and then I'll be talking to somebody, an IoT expert like yourself, and and it's like, oh, you got to wire in a 4K ohm resistor in this mm-hmm. one spot. And I'm like. <laughs> Why? And it's like, uh, you just, just do, do. Yeah. And then like, I get past that and then, and then it's like, okay, how do I read this sensor? And it's like, oh, well, you have to take this and you get to scale it by this. And it, it's just like, I like, I'm, I'm like, what is going on here? Like, I, it's just, <laughs> I like having, I like having the sensor on the board. Cause every, every time I've worked with like onboard LEDs and sensors, it's just like, here's the device library, you know, Hey, give me that value. And then I get the value and it's so much easier. Exactly. And so, for example, with the MX chip, um, you know, library that you that is basically given to you out of the box, you can literally write get temperature yeah. and it will give you a float back, which is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I need to get one of these. This looks awesome. Raygun provides full stack error, crash and performance monitoring for tech teams. Whether you're a software engineer looking to diagnose and resolve issues with greater speed and accuracy or you're just concerned you're losing customers to poor quality online experiences, Raygun can provide you with the answers. Get full stack error and performance monitoring in one place. The next time you're struggling to replicate errors and performance issues in your code base, think Raygun. Head over to raygun.com. Get up and running within minutes. Dramatically improve the online experience of your users. Are you using these for any interesting projects around your house? Yeah, so I, I actually prototype with these quite a bit um, just because they are so easy to prototype with. Yeah. And a lot of the sensors, as we've sort of suggested in a couple of examples, lend themselves really well to things like smart home um, applications. And mm-hmm. I feel like smart homes is like the gateway drug to like getting really into IoT. <laughs> yeah. Because like, you know, sort of learning how these devices that you buy off the shelf actually work or even just having control a lot more control over what these devices are doing and and where they're actually sending the data is usually a point of interest for people. Um, And so in my house, um, actually on my Twitch live stream, I have this running joke where, you know, there's a, there's an inverse correlation between my uh, coding ability and how hot the room gets, right? (laughs) Because if you're sweating and you're talking and you're just like overheating, you just start not being able to think straight. So for a while, um, you know, the study that I did my stream out of would basically punish me with a lot of heat in the summer. And so I ended up installing like a temperature sensor um, on my desk right near me so that, and then displaying that, um, you know, in the top corner of my Twitch stream. (laughs) And so, (laughs) 
the MX chip is perfect for that because I don't have to wire anything up. There's no breadboard, so it's less fragile to like being disturbed. Right. So I can just plug it in, um, and I don't even have to have it plugged into my computer. I can just use the USB with a data only power cable in this case, which would work fine. Um, and it will just keep sending up the value up to the cloud, and then I'm basically like taking those values and displaying them as text. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's one example. Um, Another example is things like uh, plant watering automation, which I prototyped the first version of with an MX chip. Um, and part of that is because you're not actually limited to the sensors just on the board. So, for example, I wanted temperature and humidity for that, but I also wanted um, to use a moisture sensor, um, specifically like one that can kind of get wet and can measure things like soil um, moisture. And so there, there's what's called, I think it's called like a finger along the bottom. I just kind of call it a bunch of kind of breakout ports um, where you can actually use either alligator clips or you can use kind of like a little add-on um, socket breakout that you can plug onto it in order to then connect like all of the other stuff that you have lying around that aren't built into the board. And so I built a prototype um, system that could measure the moisture and basically send that up to the cloud. And it can also technically control like something like a peristaltic water pump, you know, to automate that for me. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Did you ever uh, try to run one of these off of battery? Is that feasible? It is feasible. Yes. Um, because this requires like five volts, um, you know, it, a lot of a lot of those kind of like um, little power bricks that you get for your mobile phone to kind of save you and give you some extra juice at the end of the day. Yeah, they will work really good with this um, as long as the voltage doesn't dip too low, because that's kind of what happens as they the, the battery runs out. But yes, you can run these things off five volts and you should be fine. It just okay. depends on the amps you need. If you're running a lot of stuff or if you're connected to the Internet a lot, you might be drawing a few more amps. That's all. That's a good point. Yeah, it depends what you're doing on it. Mm hmm. So you had talked about, you know, getting the, the data from these sensors up to Azure. You know, what, what kind of work is involved in that? Is that a, a lot of heavy lifting on code on your part or does something on this board make that easy? That's a really good question. Um, so that you can kind of do things the way that you want to. So if you wanted to just use, uh, an MQTT Arduino library and roll of that, all of that yourself, you absolutely can. Um, but there is a really good, um, set of Wi-Fi and also, um, just like, uh, I guess, MQTT wrappers around um, some of that functionality that MX chip libraries already offer. And so you can do something like um, you can essentially write your, I think, device connection string to the EEPROM of the device. And there is a way to write that securely too. So if someone tries to extract your credentials off the machine, um, they won't be able to read them because oh, they're encrypted cool. at rest. Yeah, which is really cool. So you can turn on this feature. There's also a security chip. And if you enable that, it will start writing um, all of your stuff um, to EEPROM to be encrypted at rest. And then whenever you want to read it back, there's an API in order to do that, right? And I think that's really, really cool. And so if you just write that um, connection string to your EEPROM, which is also where your Wi-Fi credentials are stored, um, you can basically just tell the library to connect and it knows where to find that connection string, which is really convenient. And the library also has a bunch of other conveniences, such as it will automatically turn that Azure, that little blue Azure LED on if you're connected to Azure. And so if you were to do that, you know, using just like your own home rolled code, you would have to also take care of turning that light on and off as you connect and disconnect as well. Okay. So is it just like a few lines of code then to connect to Azure? 
Yeah, sorry, that's what I was trying to say. That's, oh. that's actually a good summary. Um, yeah, so so in summary, sorry, I get really excited to talk about this stuff, and then I realize I should just answer. Hey, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. It's, but yeah, it's up to you, but you can get started in as many as like just a couple of lines of code. So Okay, yeah, because like C and C++, like I haven't used those in like 20 years. So, <laughs> you know, like I need like really easy for, for things like getting connected to Azure. Cause that I would have no clue how to do that. Like just, just the actual coding of like adding numbers together. So like, I, you know, I, I know all that in C and C plus plus, but yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And I've, yeah, I've, if- I've really been avoiding going back to those languages, but I feel like in this world of I, IOT and like Arduino and stuff, like I, I think I just have to suck it up and start doing this again. <laughs> yeah, if you go through the get started guide, um, they do give you kind of the first project to upload and it really is not a lot to kind of connect to okay. the cloud. I remember working with the ESPA 266 um, and not having something like Azure IoT Hub or a nice SDK or anything like that. And it's so many different lines to get started, even if you have like an MQTT library, for example. Okay. So how does this development board compare to other similar devices that are out there? Yeah, that's a really good question. To be honest, um, and I, I know that, you know, I probably sound biased just because I also work for Microsoft, but this board has some of, like, has the, one of the largest collection of sensors and outputs and things I've seen on one board in general. Um, you know, it's also got Wi-Fi, obviously, which is incredibly powerful. Yeah. So to be honest, this is like super decked out. And even if you didn't want to use Azure with it and you can repurpose that Azure LED, it's a super solid board to do almost anything with. Um, it's You're really only limited to the fact that it's 100 megahertz and it also has like limited space, right? But I would say that this is one of the most... Um, feature rich ones out there that I've seen. A lot of people actually, um, they compare this to the BBC micro. And part of that is it has the same kind of finger breakout thing on the bottom. And so people instantly recognize that and they associate that with the BBC micro. And the BBC micro is another series of boards that have a bunch of really nice built in um, you know, components, but I haven't seen one that has like all of these, if that makes sense. Now, and, and you said you can use Arduino um, attachments for this thing. Is what do you mean true? by Arduino attachments? Modules. Modules. I don't know. I don't know what they're called. Like if, if uh, it, that for the temperature sensor you were talking about, like that's built in, but what if I mm-hmm. wanted to have like a little fan that turned on to, to cool you down? Yes, absolutely. So, so would I buy like an um, Arduino fan? I don't, I don't know. Does that exist? <laughs> yeah. And I think that that, to be honest, that's such a huge, that's such a valid question to ask because that's literally what you're Googling when you're getting started with this because you're like, well, I want something that works with Arduino because then I know it'll work. Right. And like, yeah. can I expect to be able to backport it to like some, well, not backport it, but just like have compatibility with this? And the answer is like, it's helpful to have a little bit more knowledge about how these components work. But for example, um, in, in the case where you mentioned a fan, yes, you actually can. Um, and a colleague of mine has a working example of that. And I think if you go to aka.ms slash IoT fan, I think it is, um, he actually has a walkthrough and a tutorial on how to do that. Oh, okay. And so generally the rule is if your device is kind of what's called like a a, a breakout board for a sensor or something, um, which you can commonly get from SparkFun and Adafruit. If it's if it's using like the SPI protocol, I squared C, um, or something even simpler than that, then most likely it will actually work with this board because this board is able to um, speak those protocols through the breakout, you know, finger thing on the bottom. What about a um, 
sorry, I'm just I'm I'm just amused right now. The what about like a uh uh, what do you call those things? Why am I blanking on the name where, where it's like the dot, the giant dot matrix display and you can have like words scrolling by, um, Oh, just like a LCD screen or no, like the, <laughs> I don't know why I'm blanking on the name. I feel so stupid. No, that like the, where you have like the dots and the, in the words they scroll like by a ticker. Yeah. Like, like that, but there's, but there's another name. Carl, you got to help me, man. What are those things called? I, I'm just thinking like an LED scroller. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I have no idea what that's Okay, called. well, I don't feel bad because nobody else can remember what the name is right now. But uh, but one of those things, I, I assume like I could I could probably hook something like that up to this, right? There's got to be one it, for Arduino. I'm going to be safe and say it depends. If you can find <laughs> one for Arduino, it depends yeah. on like, so usually those things have like a built-in controller, right? And the controller is going to speak some kind of protocol where you need to give it the commands to do what it needs to do. Mm-hmm. And again, like if you can find one that speaks something like I squared C or SPI, which are two of the most kind of common, you know, component uh, communication protocols, then um, you're totally fine. And then the other question to ask yourself too is, can this board power that device, um, that that extra component, because that's a lot of LEDs, yeah. or do I need to then provide a, a separate power supply, which is totally fine, it's doable, but you also just need to figure out, like, okay, like, am I just going to brown out this device constantly because this component's drawing too much power? That's another question to ask yourself. I guess they just call them LED signs. That's LED signs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I guess that's just what they're called. Um, that's why I couldn't really think of the name. Um, I think that'd be kind of neat, like uh, to show like recent tweets or something. Like, I, I think that would just be, that'd be kind of a neat um, office decoration. It but, would be really fun. You know, to have, have a big uh, screen like that before be behind you or something while you're like, I mean, that could be bad too. Maybe have like a, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe moderated or something, but uh, yeah. 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 LED scrolling message display, I guess is what they're called. <laughs> That's a very terse title. <laughs> <of it. laughs> LED display. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I think that would be, that'd be kind of cool. That's, that's just what my office needs. So I need to figure out how to wire that up. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing, like um, the, you can actually use a lot of common um, libraries that were written for the Arduino platform. You can right. absolutely use them with this. So for example, one library that I use all the time on the MX chip is called Arduino JSON. Mm-hmm. And that just allows you to pass JSON, um, pa- uh, you know, um, payloads that come in, but you can also create json payloads and um send them up to the cloud as well and that's obviously like i don't want to write my own json parser in c or c plus plus it's just <laughs> i have better things to do um and so i was really delighted to see that that works um but also if you look at the api reference on the website there's a whole there's a whole section on arduino and it tells you the exact things that are compatible from like the base mm. foundational library stuff so even if you're not using an actual library that was like third party you can see that you can still use things like analog read digital read you can use the t- time-based things to delay uh you get all of the math functions built in um and all sorts of other things like interrupts and things like that so it it is pretty pretty good as far as compatibility goes for sure okay and then how much does this thing cost and where can i get it oh yes that's always the question um (laughs) so this board in my opinion again i know i'm biased but it it for what you get on the board, it's actually incredibly affordable. So um, there are sources that you can get um, for US price, uh, $39. So it's around $30 to $40, depending on where you actually buy it from. And when you think about what you get for that, that is crazy that's low. a lot. Yeah, that is yeah. crazy low. I mean, I know it costs more than like a Raspberry Pi by like a little bit, 
But the fact that you're getting an OLED screen and like every sensor imaginable is pretty incredible. Yeah, I think so too. Like I've actually bought a lot of these um, components separately when I'm working on, you know, using a different board or whatever. And, you know, because I don't have the bulk buying power of a large company, you know, I'm usually paying through the nose for them individually. And so the cheapest that I've been able to get, like the OLED screen, for example, like I know that you can get, you can pay up to $16 for a, a breakout to allow you to wow. connect with it really quickly. But I've paid, I think the least amount I've been able to pay is about $5. And so that's already like an, let you know, more than an eighth of the price of the board. And that's just one component, right? Yeah, it's pretty well. You know, so I'm looking through, you don't have to feel bad on this because I'm looking at the getting started and mm-hmm. I'm seeing where they connect to the Wi-Fi. And in their example, it's AZ-C8934. There's no dashes or colons in there. So the fact that you didn't know that that was a MAC address, I totally, I do not fault you for that. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, no, that makes me feel better because I just felt so silly. And then I started actually seeing, I was like, that's exactly the same. How did I not see that? <laughs> yeah, no, the, the way, I mean, actually looking at one, even after you told me, I'm like, is that MAC address? I'm like, is that the right number of letters? But sure enough, it is. So I don't yeah. fault you for that at all. That Because they should have put dashes or colons or something in there. I mean, heck, you can even have emoji inside of uh, SSIDs. And I do. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think that, <laughs> well, here's the thing. The documentation is open source. And mm-hmm. so maybe we could uh, pull request the team. They are actually very friendly. I've pull requested their docs before to correct some of the, the API stuff where, you know, it's like, oh, this actually t- doesn't, this this is a, a signed uh, char, not an unsigned char, for example. So they are very receptive to changes. And they also get really excited to hear about any projects people have made with them as well. Mm. So maybe we could clarify that. Um, because the way that I found out was I had four MX chips, I think four or five of them in the office, and I wanted to put them on the guest network. And you have to kind of register them individually yep. as MAC addresses to do that. And so I had this post-it note where I am like writing down all the MAC addresses. And it, I got to like the fourth one where I like, um, I, I uh, sort of like, uploaded the code and then I wrote it out and then I connected um, the the board to the Wi-Fi after yeah. adding the MAC address. And that's when I saw the access point SSID. <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness. And so I went back and looked at all the other boards and I was like, yep, that's it. Yeah, this is the fourth coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. that, I, that would take me four tries. I mean, if, after I saw it four times, yeah, I'd be like, wait a darn second. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. Okay, well, 39 bucks, that's pretty affordable. Yeah, it is pretty good. Yeah, I'm definitely going to get one of these. This looks like a lot of fun. Actually, I think this would be something, too, that would be good for uh, for my kids. Have them come up with an idea, especially if we can just use the sensors on it initially and then add yes. some things after that. Usually the challenge I like coming up with is like choose a sensor at random and then choose like an output at random, such as, you know, I don't know, the audio jack or the screen or whatever. And you have to find like some kind of like cool way to like you know, do something with the sensor data on the actual output. So, mm-hmm. so you know, maybe if it's audio, you would want to, I don't know, like depending on how noisy the room was, it like adds noise <laughs> to the room or like just shows like the noise level or something. You know, there's a lot you can kind of do with it. Yeah, that's cool. Because you could hook up any any speakers to this thing, to the audio jack. And then uh, like at 2 a.m. you could go, the time is 2 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> you that, could absolutely do that. Yeah. yeah. And because um, because you have internet connection, you can hit up the old, uh, what is it, NTP to get the uh, yep. the time. Yep. So you okay. could be constantly. And know speaking. exactly when it's 2 a.m. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
on the second. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Any other questions, Carl? Nope, I think we're good. Okay, so is there anything else that you want to mention that uh, that we didn't ask you about? Mm, oh, I'm, I was talking about how they like to hear about projects and stuff. Yeah. Um, and the place that they put those is when you install IoT Workbench, it's very smart because every time you plug your MX chipboard in and you have VS Code open, it will pop up like the welcome tab, right? And it, it has, it, it's continually kept up to date with new community projects. Um, and so I like just looking at them from time to time just to see what's actually being submitted. Um, there's a really cool one where they're using, um, they're using a local machine learning model. So they've somehow, being able to like crush this model down and actually the runtime down to fit on the chip and use like the 256 kilobytes of yeah. RAM, which is tiny. Yeah. Um, and, and it doesn't actually, it's not like a true sort of like voice, rec- uh, you know, word recognition. It, it's basically kind of like um, an Alexa or Cortana or something like mm. that, where it can recognize up to 12 different words. So you can think of it as like the, Hey Siri or, you know, Alexa do this kind of uh, wake word stuff. Um, so I thought that was really cool. Uh, and then just like a shameless self plug, I have a project in the community list too, which allows you to send um, gifts to the chip and then it will play the GIF on the display screen. So it does all of the kind of conversion over to monochrome for you. And it does all that stuff. Okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I really like that. It has like a tiny little screen built in. I think mm-hmm. that that's, that's uh, my favorite part too. <laughs> yeah. But there's no, there's no way. So you can, this doesn't have like video outright. Like you couldn't hook it up to a monitor, correct? You'd have to hook it up to like a specialized screen essentially. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So like it doesn't, it doesn't really have, a way to do that and so you would kind of have to invent your own i guess um you could definitely like connect it to something like an e-ink display Mm -hmm. and you could be like driving that but that's really up to like how much code you want to write and if you can find a library for it yeah that'd be cool for like a low power e-ink display would be kind of neat yeah okay well very cool uh carl what do you have for the azure pick of the week yes microsoft has just released and opened its first african data centers uh, for Azure. So now if uh, you want to deploy some of your code uh, to the Africa continent, African continent, you can now do that through Azure. And I think other than Antarctica, we at least have one data center on every uh, (laughs) continent now. So hopefully those will grow as uh, we get more and more users and adoption goes there. Uh, You can get your code uh, targeting the people that uh, will be using it. Um, the closest and easiest. Yep. And, and, and in an Azure region always ends up there. They always end up going in in pair. So there's one in Cape town and then there's one in uh, Johannesburg, which is really cool. So that, you know, data goes back and forth between those two for uh, redundancy. Like if you're using Azure storage um, or if you want to uh, basically, you know, fail over to a different, uh, to a different area, you can do that. So that is uh, that is super cool. There's how many of these are there now? There's what? There's like fifty four. Fifty four regions. <laughs> that is crazy. Like we are we are just dominating on the number of regions, which is which is yeah, great. I, yeah, go ahead. Susan. I feel like every time I spin up a resource in Azure now, that list is getting longer. You yeah. remember when you were just picking between like east us east us yeah. us 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 two, and maybe like central and stuff yeah and like just watching all of the different countries and different continents come online is really exciting i love that i have to scroll through and for for a second longer to actually find what i want now yeah and it's like i mean it is a game changer for the companies that we're working with because you know if you have a customer in south africa and now there is a region there 
And it's just, it's just game changing instead of being like, yeah, you have to go to like, you know, Germany and you know that, I mean, that's a long, long way, the amount of latency that you're going to add for that. Um, so that's, uh, that's absolutely incredible. Uh, and Carl, what do you have for the question of the week? So Sue's, this is a part of the game that we play. Uh, it's a question for you. Uh, <laughs> would you rather have acne for the rest of your life or a bad body odor problem for the rest of your life? Oh my god, that's so hard to choose. Um, hmm, I'm gonna pick the acne. Actually, I just think that not being able to do anything about your body odor would just be. I feel like people are way less forgiving about that, and you would end up with more social anxiety as yeah. a result. That being said, like I'm an adult, I think. <laughs> no, I'm definitely an adult. <laughs> um, <laughs> and like you know, you know when you're a teenager and and you get pimples. And everyone, and I know that there's a difference between pimples and like full on acne, but they'll say, oh, you know, when you're older, it'll all like go away. It never went away for me. Like I'm sporting, I think two pimples on my face right now. And I get, I I have to have this really strict routine or end up with a lot of blackheads as well, which end up turning into like blemishes. And so for me, I feel like that was such a huge lie. <laughs> that well, was told so, to me. yeah, my understanding is it's, it, it's actually based on gender. So, uh, for guys that happens, the, there's like a hormonal change that, that happens and, mm-hmm. and they go away. Cause like I had horrible, horrible acne. So did my dad and my oldest son now is, I mean, it's just terrible and it's on his back. And, uh, you know, my wife is like, well, mine never went away. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm telling my son, I'm like, just wait, it's going to go away. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, so like, yeah, it's, it's definitely hormonal and that yeah. obviously differs with gender very much. Yeah. Yeah. So his, his, I'm sure will go away just like my, I mean, I don't, I will get like one every couple months, you know, but I, I mean, it was terrible. It was like, it was, especially when I had to like start shaving, it was just terrible because mm, I'd use like a razor. Horrible. Yeah. You use a razor and it was just, I would, my face would just be Ooh. this horrible, bloody mess. And it's amazing that I don't have like scars or, I mean, I, it's, I don't know how that works, but somehow I don't have, you know, I have like tiny little scars, but like nothing bad at all. So we, uh, yeah. So guys are, are a little bit luckier there. Mm-hmm. So, and given sorry. that, like, I'm I'm someone who doesn't generally need to shave my face, so I think that the acne thing would work out a little bit better for me. Yeah, the body odor, I just could not, I I just couldn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that is generally, you know, it's like something that you you have control over, and I don't know. Sorry, body odor. Like, I picked it in a game, and now, <laughs> now you gotta deal with it. <laughs> uh, okay, tell her what she's won, Carl. <laughs> it's like here's your acne treatment wash because that's what you're about to get (laughs) yeah well that's that's the other thing too like with my oldest son my wife she's like she is she is convinced that there is some way that she can get rid of it and uh you know i'm just like nope i'm like i've already been through all this nothing will get rid of it like i think there's like accutane which is like the nuclear option but i'm like Mm. i'm like i'm like aside from that nothing will get rid of this and she's like no 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 i'm gonna get this thing i'm gonna get this product and it will this will work she uses it and then and then it doesn't work i'm like "Uh, i told you so and then she's like oh well this other product 
I think we're on like number seven and she knows to not even yes. say anything to me anymore. She's, she, you know, I'm just like, I'm like, I told you nothing was going to work. Like it just happens. Like he's a teenager and like those, those hormones cannot be overpowered by anything. Like it's not, yeah, they're super aggressive yeah. at that time. It's yeah. just like, it's just, a, it's just a general awful time in your life in general. Yeah. To be dark about adolescence. <laughs> yep. 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 Happy, happy to be through that period. So yeah, it's character building. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it looks like Carl has collected, uh, like 50 different links of things that you talked about throughout the show. But, uh, for our listeners, like where can people find you? Yeah. So we talked about my live stream a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, and you like, I usually have the same handle everywhere on the internet. And so as long as you go to like no upcat or N O P K A T, you know, you'll find me there on Twitch and on GitHub and on Twitter and all those kinds of things. So if you were curious about the Twitch stream, I do do that every Sunday morning Pacific time in the U S. So I start at 9 AM. <laughs> so if you're on the East, if you're on the East coast, you get to sleep in. <laughs> yeah. That's um, a lot easier. Yeah. I used to live on the East coast, so I would stream, you know, towards the late morning and it was very chill. And then I moved to uh, the West Coast and the joke was on me because obviously consistency is really important with yeah. streaming. So there were a lot of people in Europe who were worried because they're like, well, that's that's like right before my dinner time. And that's obviously important family time for me. Right. So if you change it, I'm not going to be able to join anymore. And that's like, you know, it's quite sad for a lot of people and I was sad to lose them. So I've tried to keep my time relatively similar since moving to the West Coast. Very cool. So everybody should go uh, check that out at twitch.tv slash noopcat with a K. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely recommend that. That's super cool. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. So Suze, thank you so much for coming on here yet again and talking about another very interesting topic. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm always excited to talk nerdy with you all. 